You're listening to Pick Hard Talk exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome to the first ever episode of Pick Hard Talk, which is obviously a play on the word Picard and Hard Talk, which we thought was really clever given that every other variable of Picard and play on Picard had already been taken. Uh, we are the two Marks. My name's Mark Pollard. I've got my co-host Mark Latham. How you doing, mate? I'm well. How are you? Now, we've got a rather weird situation here because this is the first time you've probably heard our voices, but we've been doing this for quite a while. <laughs> so, to add some random context, we have another podcast called Disco Fever, which is a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Now, you're thinking... I haven't heard of that before, and you'd be absolutely right, because we've been uh, frantically trying to get Season 1 and Season 2 reviewed, and we were going to um, upload it as a deluge just in time for Season 3 to come out, so we could do with Season 3 what we're doing with Season 2. Uh, however, Picard has beaten us to the punch, <laughs> and so we're going to start with this one, effectively, aren't we, Mark? Yeah, I mean, we're going to be, by the time we upload all the Disco Fever and we've got the Picard one, everything else, you're going to be sick and tired of hearing our voices. But the exciting thing, well, particularly, we've just watched Episode 1. Well, sort of. We should add some context here as well. So, both Mark and I are uh, very eager Trekkies. We're not necessarily the most reverent of Trekkies. We like to... We love the whole Trek nerdum. Picard came out a few days ago. In Mark's head, although he claims he told me, uh, we were going to save it and watch it together as friends. Friends! Best friends. Friends! Uh, Alas, either I didn't hear that or subconsciously thought... Fuck that for a laugh. <laughs> There's no way I'm waiting for that. So promptly went on and watched the first episode of Picard, All of My Lonesome. <laughs> only, leave me on my own. Only to leave Mark, who, to your eternal credit, mate, has oh, then gone. gone the last few days without doing it, despite numerous spoilers from other people. Oh, yes. Uh, it's t- you know what? It's, when it's something that's brand new, it is so hard in the in the technological age we live in to dis- just hide from spoilers. Anyone who watched Games of Thrones will know what I'm talking about. Anyone who'd read the books years ago will be like, oh, do you remember the Red Wedding? It's like, shut up! And also, when you have other people you know who are a little bit nerdy, they can't help themselves. Yeah, it's they've, like, got to, uh, they've got to spill beans. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's almost like a proof of how nerdy they are. Yeah, it's funny because you go, it's not a spoiler, but uh, this happens, they all die in the end. And you go... <laughs> I think you find that's a spoiler, because I didn't know before, and you've just told me, so you have, in fact, spoiled it. Uh, so uh, we've just we've just had nachos and hot dogs, oh, and future. you've watched it for the first time, and I've watched it for the third time. <laughs> Greedy. Um, so uh, it, this should be quite an interesting episode because yours is a very much a knee-jerk reaction to the show, whereas yeah. mine's obviously more considered, which is ironic because. Were you to be able to listen to the Disco Fever episodes, you would probably find that Mark's research and just general preparations for these things far outweighs mine. <laughs> um, but yet the pressure I feel is slightly more on me because I should have had more time to digest this. Admittedly, I have, as I say, unavoidably found various things that I knew were going to be in it. And the the wonderful thing watching it fresh and raw is... You're kind of thinking, oh, this could be this. And then as it's happening, you're either right or you're wrong. Yeah, it was good. It was good to watch it. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how right were you and how wrong were you with your initial knee-jerk predictions? 
without kind of giving spoilers to the episode already, I had a feeling that there were going to be Romulans involved in some sort of thing, and and I was I well I identified the weapon reuse, so I kind of got that right. But I mean, I don't specifically know. Bear, bear in mind, it's episode one. Whether entirely, I've got the gist of who's um who's the baddie and what things, but we'll see. I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Were you excited about this actual show when you heard about it? I mean, I know if you like Trek, just the suggestion that there's going to be a Picard series would instantly uh, tug on those heart strings. But was there a little bit of you at the back of your mind thinking, please don't ruin something that was so wonderful many, many moons ago? Both of those things will always run in, in any show that kind of picks things up 20-odd years after you know the end of another. You know, It's, it's kind of, you, sometimes you leave things alone. Picard has always been... My favourite captain. Oh, he is. He's the man. Yeah. There is no doubt about it. Picard is my boy. Absolutely. Not least because he's from Yorkshire, which is where I'm from. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just in terms of how he negotiated his way through uh, dilemmas and problem solving and just being a really pragmatic leader. He just does everything the way you want to do it, but you're never able to do it because you need to have the patience or the <laughs> intellect. <laughs> the long and short of it, mate. <laughs> we, we are but to be a shadow of our Picard. Absolutely. I was uh, both very excited because I quite like him as a captain, uh, but I was also mindful of the fact that you can very easily ruin these things with all good intentions of trying to capture a new age of fan and also existing fans, but also, you know, you can you can cause that to ruin people's appreciation of the nostalgic show. So, should we get dirty? Let's get Picard talk. <laughs> right, do you want to do the overview then? Okay, season one, episode one, Remembrance. An opposite here is at the end of the 24th century, uh, 14 years after his retirement from Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard is living a quiet life on his vineyard, Chateau Picard when he is sought out by a mysterious young woman, Darge, in need of his help. He soon realises she may have personal connections to his own past. Discuss. Shall I go first? Absolutely. Uh, uh, Do you know what? I mean, first and foremost, loved it. Thought it was great. Let's get those cards on the table. Yeah. Um, For every irreverent comment I say from hereafter, please bear in mind I did love it dearly. Thought it was a great start. Definitely probably one of the best first seasons of any Star Trek show yeah. I've seen. It had a very Dixie solving a mystery feel to it. You know, you remember how you used to go into the uh, oh, Dixon the holodecks Hill. Dixon to do Hill. the Dixon yeah, Hill yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It had a bit of that going on about who's this, got okay. to solve that. And yeah. We've kind of got that going on into episode two now. So yeah. it, it felt very Picardy. Um, and when I first saw him, I just thought, yeah, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, but this is him. If you wanted one captain to bring back to do something like this, if there's going to be a mystery to solve, or he loves, he loves excitement, he loves adventure, all of the things, Captain's Holiday, all of these things where he goes on a holiday and he ends up kind of solving a mystery or goes on a, a jaunt. It, it's it's classic Picard, isn't it? It was like every time he opened his mouth, it was like a warm breeze on your face, just that warm summer breeze of wonderment. It, Every time he said something or did something, it was like, that's Picard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's so Picard, the way he's done that. Or, uh, yeah, I wish I could deal with that. That's, you know. Absolutely. It, there was, you just can't fault the man. He's just human of superior quality. Oh, I mean, quality. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, there's nothing more wonderful than listening to the dulcet tones of 
Captain Picard. And the start was amazing because we also got a bit of data loving as well. Well, before we get into this, let's just ask the main question is the intro. The yeah, intro so thing. To kind of get like the very beginning of this, let's break down from the very, very start. Hang on. <laughs> right, rewind. Okay. Dumb. So to get this really get nitty gritty now, get into the trenches of Picard talk, we're going to get at the very beginning, tell me what you think about the opening sequence to this show. It's boring. Absolutely. I was in a coma. <laughs> I, I was having I was having Mark play whale music to me. Uh, I think I'd fallen asleep in the nachos. Uh, <laughs> And and uh, was being stabbed in the leg with a with a fork to kind of wake myself up. What what what? It felt like a James Bond theme gone wrong. I was expecting naked silhouettes to be bobbing across the screen. <laughs> naked and, data's floating yeah, around. And just and I've, and I've what? And I've um, Adele singing the song to me. I don't I don't know what happened there. And that end bit with the uh, the little uh, sort of shard. Going into Picard's face, rip off of Daredevil. <laughs> I'm sorry, but someone would have been watching Devil. Oh, that looks really. We should use we'll just, that. Yeah. Let's use that. The only thing that I'm going to ask the question, which is a little bit of a theory right off the bat, uh, noticed that as it, it kind of pans out to a wide screen with the, uh, the Delta signal, noticed it was a black Delta signal with significance being section 31. Just going to throw that out at episode one. Let's get it out now. Mm. But I found the intro boring. The only other one I can tell you was almost as soul-destroying was the one with Enterprise, where somebody in production went, we're going to have to change this. (laughs) It's too late. We've got to go. We've got to go with it. So they did actually, I think, in Enterprise on season three, change it and kind of give it an upbeat uh, and then I know Deep Space Nine did something similar in, episode, in season four or five. I'm sure people will know exactly, but they kind of give it an upbeat thing, and that was fine. Bearing in mind, you know, Deep Space Nine lasted seven series. Enterprise not so lucky. I think people were like, "No, we don't need a famous opera singer doing the opening sequence to." It just the show. felt. It just felt like a tune you'd find on a, a murder mystery program you'd find on ITV on a Sunday afternoon type pro. It just didn't match. The show that we then were introduced to. No, absolutely. Uh, but fortunately, there will be scope to be able to skip that in the future. The so I shan't dwell on that negative because it is no longer a relevance in my life. But what we do get right off the bat is a strong start to this episode. Really exciting. Fat data. Fat data. <laughs> Somebody in CGI has gone, mate, you don't look like you did 20 years ago. Let's kind of... Uh, well, we don't, in fairness. So, I mean, we're, yeah, we're, I... We, we, mock, we mock him being in exactly the same situation. In, in fairness, my friend, do you have the money to pay for a personal trainer? <laughs> no. Well, that is why you're, you look like you do. And you're lovely. <laughs> oh, I love you too, man. And luckily, we don't film this, so you don't know what we look like. <laughs> but Data has a bit of money, let's say. Uh, it could probably get someone to jump on jump on a treadmill and say, uh, maybe stop eating the ca- the cakes. <laughs> you know, especially when you're about to go on a new flagship show. Try saying that when you've had a few pints uh, or a Picardian Coke. <laughs> I'm here all week, uh, or just for this episode. But if you if you've got someone saying, look, we've got a nice, really role, good role for you. You've done it before. It's a walk in the park. You're probably going to pop up with a little cheeky face. You might want to, you know, make that face that's less cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> then you would go absolutely I'll do that yeah but when you when you go can't be bothered just turn up put some yellow paint on some contact lenses on 
and look like the Tin Man and go, yeah, we'll just we'll just um, buff that out in production. Them some contact lenses though, aren't they? They were massive. They covered like pretty much the whole of his eyeball. I mean, that putting them in. Have you ever worn them? What the ones Not, that cover your whole yeah, eyes? Yeah, they're called scler- scleria. Uh, no, scleria how contacts. do you get them in? Does it well, hurt? Well, it does. Have any contact lens? I've put in cosmetic ones before for things. When you lose one around the back of your eye, you want to know about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Try oh. scooping that out when you're driving down the oh, road. Oh, let's move on, because <laughs> yeah, okay. that makes you feel sick. Yeah, uh, but it, it was, it, despite data not being... Well, data proving that androids can relax, uh, I thought it was an amazing... I loved it. It was amazing, and, and I mean, <laughs> it really made you choke up a little bit when you, you heard that Picard he, say he didn't want to wake up because... Oh, yeah. He knew it was. I, I was it's like, his best oh, mate. No. They had such a good relationship, and even in the films, you know, for people who kind of followed the into the into the movies, they just had such a wonderful. He did, but you've got to remember that he had these relationships with all of them. Well, that's the thing. It? We talked about this in one of our episodes on Disco Fever, and that's the thing that Disco Fever misses. And one of the things I liked about this show is, thank God we've begun, we've begun to just capitalize on the way things used to be, and um, Picard's back to his wise forward thinking you know approach to dealing with people and, and involving involving people because we talked about this we were talking about how he has yeah. a good relationship with all of his crew well he does I mean he was like a father to data but Absolutely. He, he had like Riker as his confidant he was yeah. close to Deanna Troy because of course she was another confidant yeah. but in a different way so like Dr. Crusher um, he had a close relationship with her because of the history in the past. So each one of those characters, there's quite this is this massive bond. So when we're watching this about data, we're thinking, wow, that was a close relationship. You could actually say that for the rest of the next generation crew, yeah, which is for me why it was so successful. I guess well, we're not we're not here to slag off Star Trek Discovery because we like Star Trek Discovery, but I think one of the missing ingredients to that is that Family. that building of relationships between the crew that you don't quite get, do you? You get the impression that although you're serving on a ship, you don't really spend the quality time with people. Whereas on on the Enterprise with Picard, you got the feeling that they actually did get on with each other outside of the workplace. Yeah, I'm going in deep. I'm I'm I'm. What about the discussion? Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm laying my cards literally on the table early. Okay. Because in this particular intro, Data throws five queens on Queen of Hearts onto the table. Now. First and foremost, it was clear and abundant that Data was cheating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, of course, uh, there's only four Queen of Hearts in a deck of cards. No, there isn't. I'm joking. But anyway, I've got the thing that throughout this episode, there are flashbacks that Picard has. These dreams he's having, I don't think are dreams because they're too logical and informational in their context and content. Yeah. And, of course, you see that Daj, who will come on to, also seems to have these flashbacks which bring up Picard in her head to give her some direction as to what she needs to do. I think there is a Borg link in this whole thing. And the Queen of Hearts might be a reference to a Borg Queen or something to that effect. Because, of course, in First Contact, Data is uh, messed with by the Borg. Obviously, in the next gen... Picard's messed around with yeah. by the Borg. If Daj is from the remnants of Data, then she would, by by default, have that same sort of makeup. So I think there's a, a Borg link here, which is why they're all able to... Well, a Borg link, I suppose, kind of given away as a massive, huge give-out in the whole e- intro sequence. 
when you see your Borg cube floating around. Well, in fact, the it's the remnant of the first contact movie Borg cube, to be sure. Um, yeah, but the Romulans are using that as a well, we haven't got a to gaff, that, aren't they? No, no, oh, but what what I mean is that yeah. the Borg cube being in the intro doesn't necessarily mean the Borg are going to be involved. I'm talking more of a means in which there seems to be this connection and ability to communicate and give people sort of clues as to what they need to do next. Well, if, you, if you're kind of thinking about when he was Locutus, there was a connectivity to the Hive, which could well be uh, reasons for him having these kind of quite lucid, immersive dreams. Uh, the other thing is it could have been a, a mind meld from a previous encounter. Mm. You know, I think uh, what this show will do is make use of existing canon. I mean, we've been spoilt with the intro and trailers, so we know other you know, kind of show favourites from Next Generation are going to appear, appear. With that in mind, good theory. I mean, the, the Borg, I think it would be a, a fail if they show it on the intro, which is kind of set in stone, and then don't include it. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do we think of Chateau Picard? Well, again, I mean, a good a good thing, all good things episode. Um, he, the Chateau Picard thing was, one thing's a, a reoccurring trope. Even going back to generations, when he was on the bridge of the the uh, the sailing boat Enterprise, when he gets the phone call that his brother had died, in the episode Brother, uh, introduced kind of through then, and then there's tapestry, and the other one, obviously these are generally episodes where Picard gets a bit of a backstory. Uh, tapestry being when he was in Starfleet Academy with the Norsicans and his failing heart and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I think it just what it does do is it just continually picks up the cannon, which is that's where he said he was going to retire to. That's his family uh, vineyard, and that's where he is. He's got a couple of extra bodies knocking about. He's got uh, he's got a couple of Romulans who seem to be his uh, hired help. Yeah, it's like home assistants for uh, retired admirals, <laughs> and uh, who we got available. So no longer Polish, just Romulans. We've got Irish Romulans, Irish which Rom- is an interesting one. Yeah. You've got Laris and Zabana who are helping out, although at some point in the episode seem to be uh, rather unnervingly hiding around the corner and listening to a conversation because when he, when he calls them, they're all too quick for both of them to sort yeah. of gingerly step out from behind the wall and go, uh, yeah, sorry, what what was that, Jean-Luc? I, I didn't get that. It's either that or they were kind of just stealing his jewellery. <laughs> well, they've. Um, he's also got a new sidekick, a new number one. Oh, of course, yeah, in the, the shape dog. of a, a dog, yeah. With some huge nuts. <laughs> Is a, that what you got? There's a scene where he's, he's walking away. I think it's it's when um, Patrick Stewart and, look, I think you're amazing, mate, particularly because you're from Yorkshire, big up Yorkshire. I think you're a, an incredible actor. Your French accent leaves a little bit to be desired, I have to be honest. I thought the uh, the French-speaking bit was a little cringe-worthy because yeah. li- it sounded like a Yorkshireman trying to speak in French. Oué de cul-de-sac. Yeah. Je m'appelle Jean-Luc. Menage toi. Yeah, it wasn't his best moment. But while he's talking to me in French, it sort of zooms in on the back of the dog and all you get is an enormous sign of number ones, number twos. <laughs> He <laughs> might get a spin-off Got <laughs> the dog's bollocks uh, But yeah, I, I like the setting of it I'm particularly glad we won't be hanging around there too long Because it doesn't feel particularly Star Trek-y For obvious reasons uh, It's a chateau um, And it produces wine Doesn't fly around the galaxy Causing murder It becomes a bit more traumatic though, doesn't it? Because Darge pops along We meet Darge quite early on 
Well, she's just got into the Daystrom Institute and is, is kind of celebrating, isn't she, with her loved one? Her boyfriend, yeah. Did you notice the species he was? I didn't get that, actually. So he's, and now I don't know what the species is, I can't remember the guy's name, so forgive me, but in Discovery, do you remember there's that queen that meets Tilly, she sneaks on board and Tilly finds her, I do. and she ends up coming back towards the end. And okay, so the short track. It's that same species, is it? you know, with the eyelids that yes. do Okay, crosswords. so that was in the short track, wasn't it? Yeah, Okay. well no, she was in the last episode of the season two. Well yeah, but it was also based on... She yeah. was also based on... The snot, yeah. So, so, the, so the short tracks actually do add value then, because yeah. what we've got is uh, another gift that keeps on giving, which is short track leads to it tying into an actual episode of Discovery, and now we've made that canon way, way back in Discovery, we've now brought it into now. Yeah, exactly, so I quite like that, that was a nice I'm happy little with nod. That. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I love that. Darj, was it Darjeeling, like the tea? Oh, I see what you did there. Did you like that? Because he doesn't... There is a proper Earl Grey bangathon going on <laughs> in this episode. I mean, how many times is the reference made to Earl Grey tea? Quite a lot. Except, uh, of course, Jean-Luc, who goes decaf. He goes decaf now because he doesn't want to prostrate the size of a melon. <laughs> well, maybe maybe now he's going rock and roll into back into space. He'll go all hardcore. And I hope so, like double double Darjeeling. Double calf. Yeah, yeah. Double, double down on the calf. So, yeah, Darj... Is having a romantic moment celebrating her wonderful achievements on to find a load of masks people just turn up and a killer boyfriend, which you wouldn't get on Next Gen, would you? Quite well, I was going to say, the, uh, the, the tonality of the show is quite early established that this is a, a more mature show. I mean, not quite HBO levels, you know, we're not going to get any baps out, um, unless there's a canteen down the road, in which case they might... But we're going to see, if you remember, the only time I kind of will remember a knife in the chest, it goes back to the episode of Tapestry. It was a war film, wasn't it? Well, it was when he gets stabbed by a Norsican. They didn't show the actual entry. It just happened to be kind of a, a shot of the action, and then it was in his chest. It was be Worf's, uh, Worf's, Worf's wife. It was a bit more laid back in terms of, it wasn't visceral. Whereas this one, flipping heck, it's... Almost basks in oh, the, yeah. the accuracy of the shot, really, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, the thing I was thinking of is Hitchcock. If you think Hitchcock and Psycho, you never saw an impact of the knife. You just saw the blood and the screaming, and, and it was very cut well together. This this one, clearly, knife in the chest, blood on the floor, dead. And so we've created the tonality of the show straight away, which I, I know, quite like it to have a mature... It's got to get strike a good balance between viewers. And then Daj goes across between Jedi and Jason Bourne. Well, I was going to say it went very Treadstone. Uh, you like didn't know where this came from and was doing roundhouse kicks and knife play and, and flipping throws. Oh, people. she's got skills. Yeah, I mean, this is the person who's just going to be dealing with uh, cybernetics. Yeah, so I, I did like that. I don't know whether you want to move on to the sort of the reveal of what she is and where she is. And when she meets Picard, or whether you want to go on to the interview next. We're not doing the show in an episode of 24 style, so I mean, we can jump forward a bit. She kind of essentially finds Picard after this event, doesn't she? Long story short, after a little bit of investigation, Picard seems to feel that he's got a bit more of a connection to her. And then the big reveal is... She dates his daughter. Or... Maddox's daughter. Or... Oh, I don't know, go on. Well, because Data's daughter's called Lal. Well, that's one of his daughters. Exactly. We established very late, well, early on in kind of midway that she could well be one of two. Yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Borg designations. Yeah, but the Lal, the way that Lal was created was slightly different to how it appears that Daj and her sister have been created. 
but we don't know the full answers to that. So we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves because we're not that organised to remember <laughs> to come back. When Daj does come and meet Picard, this is when Picard goes into proper Picard gear. Yeah. Because this random stranger turns up spouting all kinds of lunic, lunacy and crazy talk. And Picard's like, yeah, no, it's all right, I believe you. Uh, yeah, no, it's cool. Look, just calm down. We'll get it all sorted. And you're instantly like, yeah, I believe you. Sean <laughs> Luke, I am on your side, my man. Uh, I know what what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is you're going to give me all the answers I need because you're the man. Agreed. That's what Picard does, isn't it? He just never di- he never dismisses her. Everything that she says, he sort of has another question or he reassures her that they'll figure it out. There's, it's just everything that you remember of that original character. Yeah, it, well, he's, he's brought back the absolute essence of the character without fail. Just a wonderful, well-rounded captain whose leadership styles and traits are just absolutely flawless, it would be the word. You know, in any situation given, whether it be a political tennis situation or a dilemma, always delivers keeping both parties happy. You know, if you remember, he spent a lot of time going into conferences and he was sitting around tables in his ready room and he was always going to, you know, planet leadership things and he was going, you know, having to learn languages. Well, he was celebrated as the diplomat, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, so he was always involved in the pioneering of, of kind of trade agreements or deals or treaties and things and, and delivering peace. Kind of a Mandela, was highly respected and revered. So he's just bringing that back, really. And so you've got a person, well, you've got the ter- data's daughter turning up and saying, I feel all these things. And he's like, it's okay. Let's see what we can sort out to solve the problem, you know? Yeah, he, it's brilliant. Although he does take a, an immediate focus to one of the world's most uh, straightforward and normal necklaces. Everyone seems particularly fascinated with the necklace, which is just essentially two circles. <laughs> Well, I, I, this is where I got it wrong because I thought they were significance of Romulus and Remus, who were twin planets. Yeah, yeah. Based on the mythology. Well, maybe because it's they were twins, weren't they? As well. Well, I mean, we find out what it actually is later, near to the end of the episode. But early, from it being a, a raw watch uh, and not having seen it three times, for me, I was literally pulling it out of the sky and, and thinking, oh, because of it being to do with Romulus and Remus and and not being destroyed, could it well be the two brothers? Uh, twins and it's the, the twin planets particularly so it wasn't too wrong but it wasn't the planets they're not painting in that design are they <laughs> anytime soon you ain't gonna get that on etsy anytime soon <laughs> who aren't a sponsor by the way but if you want to <laughs> it's picard talk at the podstation.co.uk uh we we, we get a um a massive data dump uh what? with the interview <laughs> Is no. he trying to lose weight? Is that what it's for? <laughs> he's, he's on a diet. He's checking taking some natural remedies. Yeah. But after data's dump, we have a data dump. Not the person, the data dump. Um, he's still with us, everybody. <laughs> in the form of this interview that Picard decides to have after many, many moons and on the anniversary of the... Uh, was it Mars... The, or was it Romulus? There's another. There's another that the anniversary. <clears throat> it's is. the anniversary of the of the supernova. Yeah, uh, which took place in 2387, and so it's kind of the anniversary of that. In terms of chronology, this interview comes before the daughter thing. Yeah. So so he hasn't seen the daughter yet. But what what this does do is it brings up his 
reasoning of how he ended up not being in Starfleet anymore and essentially resigning his commission as admiral. Um, yeah, because, there's a lot in this, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there's more to it. He, he's he's revered because of what happened uh, after the the situation with Romulus, but then there's a massive issue which which apparently is in a Star Trek short, which sadly those of us who don't have access to CBS won't have seen this, but sets up this this whole show. Suffice what to say, are they, the shorts. Yeah, there's a, there's called what? Children of Mars, which why, why don't we why don't we get these shorts in the UK? I have no idea, mate. Because we don't we discover uh, sorry we discovery on the Netflix either. Well, do only we? well see Netflix put them on, but never told anyone, and it's not easy to find them, is it? No, and you, they tend to put them on when the bloody season comes out. Well, exactly, so, so you have to sit and listen to <laughs> Americans talking all about them, but we don't get them, which well, sounds ridiculous. And the problem with that is for this particular show in question, we've would have had a little bit of a precursor to what's actually happened. So anyway, suffice to say, what comes out in this interview is she's kind of caught him on the hop, really. She's kind of given him the, the custard cream. She's she's explained how good he is and he's helped people and he's known for all of his you know his pioneering roles. Ooh, she's clever. She's clever. Typical journalist. She's clever, that well, one. Typical, is it? That's a bit of a generalisation. <laughs> Get the lawyers on the phone. So she's, she's led him into this. She's bigged up the ego and she's like, you're great and you've done all these things. Anyway, what about the synthetic rebellion that's happened where hundred and odd thousand people were killed? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That was that was on your watch, wasn't it, Picard? Uh, yeah, well, what, what? what? Hey, um, check, check, please. Um, t- taxi for one. So she catches him out, and then obviously he then explains that, well, why would you not want to help somebody who was in need? And she's like, with 900, 900 uh, million displaced Romulans, and why would you help them? Because they're our enemy. And he's like, well, no, because they're people at the end of the day. And I mean, like, that was a nice line. Absolutely. That yeah, was absolutely. a nice line. Absolutely. And then she picks up on the fact that uh, the synthetics uh, rebelled, destroyed Mars, killing 90-odd thousand people. And to this very day, not in our day, because obviously we're in the past, (laughs) um, it's still burning. So, And and the notable interesting fact is the Enterprise-D and many other ships were built at the Utopia Polynesia shipyards, which have obviously also been destroyed. So there's a bit of significance to that. From a nostalgic point of view, he obviously gets caught out, isn't very happy by that, ends the interview, and goes and has an L Grey decaf. Uh, it's very Picard, isn't it? The, the planet's just been destroyed. Their arch enemies are desperate for help, and irrespective of whatever he's had to come up against when it comes to the Romulans, his first thought is, right, let's help get these people all sorted. Yeah. And he's in the midst of doing it something that seems to be something that would warrant an investigation and I'm sure of the course of this season we'll find out a lot more about why uh, the Mars incident happened and suspect it's largely got either nothing to do with uh, the synthetics or it could have been the Romulans who have tried to do it as a tactical thing or whether it was Starfleet have deliberately done it to set the, 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 the Federation against this whole relocation thing because they don't want the Romulans on their doorstep, which sounds to me like probably quite a plausible thing, but doesn't particularly set the Federation in good light. The thing thing that resonated with me, particularly with the interview, is you only get remembered for the bad things. So when I was watching it, the thing that kind of of gave a parallel to was Tony Blair, who pioneered the treaty with, with Ireland, 
if you ask anyone on the high street why you know about Tony Blair, what's the thing they're going to say? Uh, the Iraq War, the fact that he pioneered so many good treaties and was involved in so many um, forward-thinking policy changes, forgotten, mm. you know. But the the reality is he'll only be remembered for that one single action. And I got the impression that this was where again Picard, who's done so many things in the Starfleet, uh, was only remembered for you know the uh, Romulus thing. And it it possibly lends credence to the fact that in the discovery at the end of season two, now spoiler alerts if you've not listened uh, watched it, but if you listen to Picard's story, one assumes you have. Yeah, so yeah let's go with what. yeah. Um, at the end of season two, they obviously end up way in the future, and it's understood that there is no United Federation of Planets in the future. And is it possible this could become the beginning of the end of the Federation yeah. because? The way they approach this is very non-outward thinking. It's it's not very collective. Does this then start f- with the factions and breaking away and the internal bickering and the uh, negative politics that start to unravel the whole uh, utopia that's being created? Mm, interesting. Well, I mean, these and this is the wonderful thing with it being the first episode. We haven't really got an idea of where this is going to go because this is the first show chronologically since Voyager. Yeah. And if you consider Voyager and Deep Space Nine are kind of happening at the same time in, you know, give or take a few months. Uh, essentially, it's been probably about 30 years since uh, the end of Next Generation. Yeah. Um, it's about 14 years since uh, Picard left Federation. <laughs> and they're about 20 years since Data died. If you're looking at it in our real terms, you've basically got 30 years gap between now and obviously when when we last saw him tonally it's it's a completely uh, new thing and i just hope they just are mindful of the fact that what they're dealing with really is a lot of canon and you can ruin things the problem automatically i got i'm I'm picking up there's a massive difference between this and disco disco fever discovery because of just with and i quite like the way they've done this it just feels really nice. There's a lot of hot. I know it was this particular episode was planet based, but we went to Paris and we went to Boston. San Francisco, Boston, which we haven't been to, um, to show that these places exist in the universe. Uh, nice to see them all. You, you know the the feel of it, the the special effects, and the seem to put a lot of money into this. Yeah, I don't know what you. What did you think? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For me, it's there's there's a lot going on. There is a lot of history that they need to fill in. I guess there's two concerns I've got. One, which is they don't need to fill in every blank space over that 30-year period. I don't need to know what he had for breakfast five years ago, uh, which is often a trap people fall into when they're trying to fill in the blanks. Um, I think Star Wars is a good example with those horrendous prequels and trying to explain the midi-chlorians and blah 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 all that kind of stuff i don't need to know all that there isn't a huge number of episodes i know there's two seasons being commissioned but there isn't a huge amount of time in which to fill in those blanks and of course move the story forward as well so i I don't know i don't need to know everything that's happened over the last three years stick to the main facts let them flow naturally as part and parcel of the story that we're learning as we progress forward, is my thoughts. Well, I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, the thing the thing is, is I can see they're trying to put in a little bit of backstory to things. I'm kind of going to just kind of assume that what they're going to try and do um, is drop in past yeah. Trek trivia. So when fans are kind of watching 
I mean, they started strong. I mean, data was thrown in. You know, you, like you said before, the the L Grey thing. These are all these are all next generation Picard tropes that we know and love, and you know, and engage and all those things and make it so. I suspect what we're going to find, bearing in mind that Next Generation was in fact the flagship show for its time, having had a gap of X amount of years in the 60s from the original series, and obviously I know the animated series came after. You've got a good chunk of 20 years. Yeah. Um, between that and next gen so next gen was the show to watch for that time which we've we've covered in previous podcasts so again we've got this uh, revisit nostalgia so i think based on that really they're gonna dip into that they can't not too much of a temptation not to i do believe what you say we've got 10 episodes is it about 40 odd, epi- 40, 40 odd minutes an episode yeah uh, um, a short window to tell a story that keeps people interested and keeps returning to the series. So I hope they do it well. They're ticking all the boxes. So if you were going to do a Deep Space Nine one, you would bring Cisco, good strong character, Jem Hadar, Dominion. People would be falling over themselves to watch that show. You know, the Borg situation, I think, is going to be a reoccurring theme. I would even go back to basics and say that I think there's going to be other characters which I'll touch upon as we go on through this podcast but I, I think they're going to be other ones that the fans go yeah absolutely mm. on the back of both Daj turning up in the interview he, he's he's deep in his thoughts and data points to a painting and tells him go and look over here which is where I think the communication thing is because I've never had a dream that's given me any answers <laughs> you, you don't mean the one where you woke up and your, your mattress was wet <laughs> No comment. <laughs> On the back of this vision communication, it's a fantastic callback. We end up going to the uh, Starfleet archives, which, I mean, that's that, oh, that was so cool. Oh, I think when he be... walks into his room, it was just a wet dream for Trekkies, wasn't oh, it? Think, really, I think uh, people. Well, I was going to say young lads, but it's not, is it? It's going to be forty-year-olds and and above, literally crying with excitement like young children. Well. The first, this was the first time you've seen it. Oh, well, I was like, and, oh, boom, 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 you know. And as soon as he walks in, you went, ah, Stargate, was it? Stargazer. Stargazer. Yeah. And he, we were, we were calling, yeah. going, Wars Battler, there's yeah. the book from his ready room, yeah. uh, Captain Picard Day, obviously. Yeah. It was just brilliant, wasn't well, then it? Well, there was the uh, Enterprise D hanging vertically. Yeah. It just, it was just as you're watching it. And, and I think any show or movie has a, a moment in it. Do you remember, um, I think I'm trying to think it was the Batman films, the one with um, Val Kilmer. It was one of the ones that people don't particularly like when they go into Arkham Asylum and they open up the kind of the the cupboard and you've got like kind of penguins thing and there's Riddler's costume and stuff. It it was one of those moments. Yeah, and yeah. For any it's fan, like see how many things you can spot in two seconds, isn't it? Isn't it? It was one of them. And one of if you ask me, one of the best parts of it is that that was for me was one of the classics because it just from ex- exposition and and just kind of total callbacks to people who love the show it's just it and it quite it very much epitomizes picard as the legend i guess doesn't it that yeah. you've got this room full of such valuable information and memorabilia for want of a better phrase i'm sure collectibles i, I don't know it he'll have all kinds of gifts that leaders of planets will have given him of and course, stuff yeah. it just must be a treasure trove of stuff and 
I just it was it was well, it's like the antique roadshow for Picard, isn't it? It was. <laughs> How much is this painting, please, Index? <laughs> <laughs> it's been in my family for years. Don't drop it. Two pound fifty. So I loved that. That was a really yeah. That was a, a really good moment. And that's when it very much dawns on Picard that uh, Dash is possibly uh, Data's daughter because, Absolutely. of course, the picture's got her face now. And it's also called daughter. And it's all called also called daughter. Although I think. It may be Data's daughter insofar as there may be elements of Data that were used to create Daj and his sister. So I, I, I do think that there is an element of Data which is in Daj and her sister. However, it's said in Next Gen, and I've got no idea when, it's said that after following the, sort of the court hearing that Maddox and Data have where they're trying to show in, is it season two, that he is a sentient being... After that, it's said that Data remains in communications with Maddox and the, the, I think he's essentially helping Maddox to learn and develop his his research uh, with a view to obviously helping to create or reach this sort of end. So I'm wondering whether it's Maddox who's created these using a part of Data, using information and research that the two of them have combined, okay. come up with. Do you think it's a bit like dropping breadcrumbs then so Picard's picking up on these breadcrumbs because bear in mind don't forget there's two paintings which are twin oil paintings so again the so the necklace twins uh, and then now the twin paintings clearly there's a pattern here of giving the the viewer which again is classic next generation allowing the viewer free freedom of thought to come up with some sort of solution not told how to think not given the answer but said oh could it be there's a second child, another daughter, that's a twin. In terms of breadcrumbs, there's a lot of clues here that there's obviously a second daughter of Data. And we don't know when Picard's visions slash communications start. I'm going to stake my thoughts that these have all started at around the time when Daj and her sister have been made, or certainly Daj was made active. And it seems like there might be other ones as well as these two because they're saying she's not active or she's not been activated yet, which implies that they already know and perhaps they've already tried to have to deal with other ones. And I think that that activation process has activated that Borg link communication that is giving Picard the breadcrumbs that he's now following. Don't forget, when he was Locutus, he was given implants. Yeah. Now those, although, well, we've seen it, haven't we, with, with other Borg encounters where they've taken away some of the cybernetic enhancements but basically there's things which are connected to bits of the body that really would not be able to be removed now we can we can assume that when he was borg you know and he was locutor so he was kind of full borg that there's obviously aspects to him that have remained and then also not forgetting the fact that he was diagnosed with a syndrome that gives him an acuteness with his hearing which is why he can hear the engines being off by a few nah, he always said he could do that. that, well, that no, but that was that was down no, to his. No, I don't inner, think it was inner ear. I would. I challenge that, sir. Okay, for the I next will, show, I you will. go away and do your research, and I will not do any research, but stand by my claim nonetheless. <laughs> no, no, but I, that that was my research, telling you that that's what it is. <laughs> well, my research disagrees with your research, <laughs> sir. Well, tough. Doctor Pulaski would tell you that's what happened. Anyway, he obviously going back to the Borg philosophy and theory he could well still have these cybernetic implants that gives him the acuity to pick up on whether it be a subspace transmission or of a so it comes across as a dream but actually what it is 
it is because we don't know what it what it feels like to, to have that happen. So it could well be, as we understand it, a dream. I don't know why your voice is in my head all the time. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so, 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 what? Hey? <laughs> what? so it could well be that where he's getting kind of a breadcrumb through a you know a transmission that comes across in the in manifestation of a dream. Yeah. I, I think there's more, just, well, clearly there's more to come because we're on episode one. You uh, think, wouldn't you? I hope thought. so, yeah. The end. <laughs> yeah, discuss. One of my favourite villains next to the Jem'Hadar is the Borg. Mm. With, obviously, the Borg you being at the beginning of the thing, I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be a bit more of a Borg. Well, obviously, I think there was a Borger King. <laughs> oh! If you'd like to be a sponsor, <laughs> the card talk out the podstation.co.uk. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, I was trying to think of the caption of Burger King there, but there was one just like "Your way is irrelevant." <laughs> <laughs> oh, me all week, and no, I'm not. So I'm hoping there's going to be a strong Borg presence, which clearly by as we go through this podcast, you know, there's something a theme happening. If this transmission is something to do with the Borg, you know, if you think about the the way that they've separated anyway through other episodes of Next Generation, there could well be. I think the Borgs are red herring, you know. I well, I, I think there will be Borg links in that the Hugh's going to be around, that Seven and Nine's going to be around, that Picard has that connection. I think that the twins, whatever Do- Doctor Sodge, the sister, she might have that. I think there is going to be those tropes and things, but I don't think the Borg are going to be the bad. I think the Romulans trying to re-establish themselves as a superpower is of, going to be. In terms of what you're saying, I, I don't. Do you know what I? Um, my theories so far are Telshiar, yeah, Borg connectivity. Uh, I don't think there's another queen because the queen is dead. Long live the queen! <laughs> I think the redheading could well be the queen Borg being there because there's five queens. I don't know whether that's linked into it. I do believe there's going to be a Borg connect- connection to it somehow, whether it be another attack or whether there's remnants who are now a bit more... Well, they, they would be getting separated from the hive anyway. Let's go back to begin. My other theory is that this has a far, far-reaching uh, implication and goes back to the person who introduced Picard to, to the Borg. Yeah, well, I was going to say, do you Q. think we're going to see old Q? I think he, cause, because Q was the person who said to the uh, Enterprise crew with the bridge, you think you know everything. You know nothing. You're not ready for Clicked this. Clicked his fingers and fast forward into the into the not if not the future, but into space because we have this. Between. Well, he threw him into the Delta Quadrant, didn't he? Yeah, he threw him. 70, oh, no, it wasn't. It was further than was it the Delta Quadrant? Yeah, yeah that's where that's where they are. Seventy thousand yeah. light years. He threw them. He didn't. It wasn't in the future. It's it's in actual uh, in space. Seventy thousand light years into space, he ended up encountering the Borg, who then were aware of them. Hence, what happened then? Yeah. So, I, I have a feeling that if anything else is a theory, we're going to have a visit from a middle-aged Q, <laughs> Q plus, an overweight Q. Yeah, fat Q. <laughs> um, You're very welcome. Hey, <laughs> they're my theories. I mean, you might well be right. It could be a red herring. I thing. usually am. <laughs> in, in in these dreams that you have in life, <laughs> we'll see. We then go on to probably the big action scene of this first episode which is the as it turns out the romulans having a kung fu battle with with daj we have some rather on the nose reminders of certain things first and foremost that picard is now old because he's <laughs> struggling to get up them steps although to be quite frank i'd have been struggling to get up them steps he still gets himself up there i mean she drags this poor old fella yeah to up the these steps at the right rate of knots yeah 
and he looks like he's going to have a heart attack, which isn't ideal, and then promptly goes all Matrix. So I, I love the fight scene. I thought the fight scene elements are amazing. Yeah. I think that CG massive Matrix-style jump was just poo. Yeah, because well, you commented it as I was watching it, and I was saying it's good, but I wasn't meaning the jump. I meant the fight choreography yeah. and the action. And then as I said, good, she did that massive jump, and like, no, because they do that all the time. It's when you can see it CGI because the body bends. Do you not remember Blade Blade Two? Is it a Blade Three where they're kind of all bendy? It's like no. Well, we, I mean, we've established, or we sort of established later on, and we'll come to this um, that she could, she was possibly a human form, but with a, a synthetic. Although I'm, I'm going to have to ask you the question about the difference between a synthetic and an android in a minute. With a synthetic inner, but a human outer. Now, if that is the case, doing one of those jumps, she's not a robot per se. So I don't understand why her body would enable her to do that. I get the quicker reflexes and the ability to process things faster and to react and move but that she she hasn't got some special legs with extra jumpy like a cast weren't super mega massive well, she might or, have an improved exoskeleton maybe but would that enable i, I don't well, Wolverine, know i just didn't Wolverine like Wolverine i Wolverine can do all those jumps i didn't think it was necessary i no, guess it, is what i'm trying I, to say ultimately your your original thing is it's not necessary she could have got there ably without doing the long jump yeah, because next, next thing, they're going to be able to fly, and then you've created your Superman. And as a general thing, I just don't like Superman as a superhero because he's boring, because he could do everything, and it's now impossible to beat him, which kind of makes it dull. You, you want that... Invul- you, you want a frailty, you want yeah. a vulnerability, exactly, which if with her doing the fighting, it's great, she's amazing, she can take them all on, but at some point there's going to be too many, or at some point they're going to be able to use something that will capture her. You know, there's that vulnerability yeah. there, and, and that big jump just kind of said, oh, she can leap small buildings in a single bound. I get so. that, and I, and, I, and I totally agree. I mean, the problem, the problem you've got is if you give somebody all of the skills, where's the story? Yeah. Because if you think you're like 300, which is based on supposedly a historical thing, top of the game warriors, but even they got tired. You know, there's only so many hours you can fight your enemy for before you start, you know, kind of flagging. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and they're not superheroes; they're just very, very well trained elite soldiers. So everybody has their weak point. If that fight has gone on for days. There would have been a point where she would have not swerved left and hit right and ended up being shot. It's not plausible. Is the point? And she may well be able to be fast. And in terms of a synth, it's synthetic where you would not know the difference between uh, an android has notable differences. All right, so synthetic looks like a human but has android elements, whereas an android is just a, yeah. a, a android a like data. You can you can you tell. Know. Yeah, is. if you saw data, you would know. All right, if you because of the way they've done his hair and things like that. I mean, it could just look like a a really unique human. But in terms of a synth, they are designed to bleed. The heartbeat you'd have a heartbeat, and they'd have um, internal organs and things. So that's the difference. A bit like with Blade Runner. Yeah, you weren't trying. They didn't know who was real, and that's where. Asimov's laws of robotics come in and things like that without getting too deep about this episode. That's the difference in my understanding. Well, it's all irrelevant because she's dead. Indeed, for the end. <laughs> so she did that massive jump, dead. I mean, how did you feel when you saw this? Because Star Trek, and it turns out to be, remain consistent, no one's ever really dead, or if they are dead, it doesn't really matter because there's kind of a, a backup thing going on. She gets killed, and I guess you're supposed to go... Oh no, she's dead. <laughs> Picard's going to be grieving and, and worrying and 
it, this the rest of this episode, this season is going to be about him striving for justice. Well, it was um, the shortest role ever, and yet he seemed quite calm and quite happy about when he found out that there's another one. He's like, oh, oh it, does, it doesn't really matter that we've lost one. She might. I was sort of recognizing her as as an individual in her own right and having her own thoughts and her own right to be in the universe. She's dead now, so it doesn't really count. Cause I'll fuck us You know, to me, he seemed quite dismissive of the fact that she died what i found hilarious was it was a bit like an episode of the apprentice where you have one of the candidates boast and big himself up and then again at the end of the episode you're fired it was like him saying to her i'll protect you i'll be there for you two minutes later dead uh, done <laughs> you know what i mean and the other thing that was more traumatic <laughs> was the fact that Epic he fail. was he was within proximity of the shock wave that didn't shatter his his spinal column yeah, I mean, did you see how did you see how far he went back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he was on the roof, so he's lucky he didn't get blown over the edge of the roof. Really, well, yeah. I mean, he, he, he getting blown in and blown off. <laughs> hey, so the uh, Romulans, it's Romulans. Yeah. So I was, I was right. Well, I was right. You've seen it three times. We're talking. <laughs> well, no. In fairness, for the for the listeners, at the very beginning of the this episode, when. Uh, those mass people arrive and shoot boyfriend. Uh, sorry, don't shoot. Um, stab boyfriend. You immediately recognise the phaser as being a Romulan phaser because yeah. you did. You, you quite literally said, "I recognise that phaser." Oh, that's Romulan. Is that without knowing any of the backstory and all the stuff? So, all right, we'll give you that one. Well done, <laughs> you. You go give yourself a pat on the back. I can't reach because my head's so big. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was the Romulans. So I, for me, I think that proves uh, beyond any doubt whatsoever Your that uh, the Romulans are going to try and establish themselves as a superpower in the universe again. Uh, well, yes, my lord, but I have evidential value to not only say, sir, that it is the Romulans, but in fact the Talshiar, Your Honour. Well, do you think it is the Talshiar? Do you think they still exist? Because I... For... <laughs> Mate, do you not think any clandestine agency would not exist in given the ballast and balance of power? If we had if we had a nuclear fallout, what do you do you think would survive? I get that. I suppose. Well, it's recorded now, so it's evidence to be retained for future reference. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, it's all a callback. If you go back to Nemesis and the, the underhand workings of a clone being made of Picard, which just for anyone who doesn't know, uh, an early role for Tom Hardy will be aware of how they are a little bit sneaky and everything else it's a different case it's going to be a different kind of tal shiar i think is what i'm okay I'm i trying to get at okay so it's like, not the tal shiar we're familiar with because the romulans are in a whole different place to okay. where we've known them so maybe then to give a parallel a post perestroika kgb yeah okay yeah so they they are trying to get as much of an advantage as possible whilst also injuring their greatest enemies in order to try and get them back to where they were, whereas the previous Tal Shiar were, because the Romulans were already pretty weighty in the world, they they already knew what they where they were, they fitted in, they had the technology, they were more about gaining an extra advantage to arguably expand their boundaries, whereas these guys are almost trying to just create boundaries for themselves because they haven't got any of they? They've got no, no. planet Well, base. I think we get an answer, sort of, in a way, in regards to where they've gone Yeah, as we get towards the kind of close, close of this episode. We did. We haven't come to that. That's, no, no, we no, haven't. We, we haven't. haven't tantalisingly. So, Picard wakes up on his sofa with his Irish Romulan. 
Uh, <laughs> Is that a drink? <laughs> it sounds like it. And, and big ball number one, uh, licking his face, and decides to go to the Daystrom Institute, which is where we meet Dr. Girati, who, when we first met her, I was like, I know her from something. Oh, right, okay. And I couldn't remember what it was at all, and ended up going on IMDb to have a look. Of course you did. And most of the things she'd been in, I still didn't particularly recognise, except for Newsroom, which I haven't seen a huge... I saw the first season and half of the second season. A couple of episodes I've seen. Um, at, but I'm quite amazed at how familiar her face is, given that that's probably the only thing I've seen her in. She's quite a quirky character. She seems to have that... Is it Dr... Sung. Noonien Sung. Noonien Sung. He was mental. Do you think she was on a part of him? No, but she's got that sort of quirkiness about it. I wonder whether in order to go into that kind of area of expertise. I think she's socially awkward. I think her EQ level is quite low. I don't think she'd work well in groups of people. I think she'd be quite insular and uh, keep herself away from other people. I think it's dealing with artificial intelligence. She's got a comfort attached to not having to deal with real in inverted commas people well i mean artificial intelligence generally are devoid of emotion so it'd be hard not to have one of them rub off with you and say can you stop doing that please don't work before you became socially excluded yourself because if you're if that's your job and also your friends also are robots yeah <laughs> it's like you're gonna be a little bit aloof aren't you and uh away from society and she she approaches picard with the absolute uh, respect only to promptly disrespect him by <laughs> laughing in his face Love it, yeah. at the suggestion that there is that he's met a synthetic uh, which i thought was quite funny and i particularly like the way where he asks the question she goes well the short answer is no and he was like well can you give me the long answer she was like well no but as in the answer's still gonna be no <laughs> but yeah go on and then he goes through a long convoluted story and she goes that's the no you were looking for. I was yeah. like, oh, you've just been pwned, Picard. Yeah, I like the scene. She's, I think, mean, she's obviously going to be part of this, isn't she? The the journey, because what what you've clearly got here is the hero's journey now, haven't you? Yeah. You know, um, which I've mentioned in a previous podcast. So now you've got the status quo, which has been affected, and now he's on a journey, and he's going to. The quest is is happening. He's got a quest to go after, and now he's uh, getting his crew and his band of merry men. So the next episode probably will be him developing this crew and how we're going to do this so so we basically restarted the hero's journey yeah and i did like her i like the the way that she she analyzed it and again she she provided quite a lot of information for us in context to where the story is probably going to go with the way in which she explains how the synthetic part of the daystrom institute was shut down and is now pretty much you know a ghost town you've got um her ideas of what is and isn't possible, and then hypothesizing based upon what Picard has been telling her. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. What was particularly interesting is Maddox disappeared after th- synthetics were made illegal, which certainly suggests to me that he's gone into hiding to continue his work. Okay, that makes um, sense. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere out of the the eye, which is a kind of a bit like Noonien's Sung. Yeah, well, he went underground because he was megalomaniac. He he kind of had good intentions, but then again, was damaged by somebody or two people, and and obviously went a little bit mental. Because he he, I think the first time we meet him, Data commandeers the Enterprise, doesn't he? And and beams well, yeah. down to the planet. Yeah, uh, it goes to meet a bit crazy. Him. Yeah. So I I think Maddox has done something a bit similar, where he's just up and off skid okay. somewhere, and I th- I think he will appear or pay play a part in this at some point in the future 
because we're coming to the end of this episode, which you notice it's, I mean, 40 minutes goes nowhere, does it? It's just as you're getting into the show, the credits are rolling and you're going, where, where did that go? And are we quite surprised that they didn't do like a double episode or a feature length one just to break us in? The problem with that is because there's only 10, you kind of a fifth of the if way you're in. If you do 10, you could still do the first one as an hour and a half and do nine others. I just I feel like I feel like I got with I mean the fact that we've got to wait another week I mean it's outrageous. Well, I thought they were gonna like release them all at once, but you see, you see Netflix do that, don't they? No, they do it weekly as well. They used to deliver. They used to do no. what? Titans. Well, yeah, no. For Netflix, they do release all the shows sometimes for some stuff. Okay. But for Discovery, it comes out weekly. Right. Okay. It's just I'm getting confused with other shows that they do. Yeah, no, it go, does sometimes, yeah. but not for everything. I suppose that's good business, isn't it? If you've got people who who get a free month, and then you go, oh, I love, I love Star Trek. I'll get, I'll get Netflix for free month, and I get Amazon for free for a month, and then they go, here's all ten episodes or fifteen episodes in a month. You'll box all them off and not, not, and not sign up. So yeah. it's only a good business model. Just before we do end, we pan to a Romulan reclamation centre which actually turns out to be, as you quite rightly pointed out, the Borg Cube from Nemesis. from Nemesis, Which was the big, massive one. And it was bigger because, the fans will know, the sphere that went back in time. Was to... it from First Contact? Yes. You you said Nemesis. Sorry, I meant First Contact, my apologies, Got because you. I'm getting caught up between Romulan backstory with Nemesis yeah. and First Contact. And so anyway, the bigger Borg Cube was because that was like the Battle Borg Cube, which contains Sphere. Those of people who are fans will know that the Borg Cube from Wolf 359 and the other, obviously, Best of Both Worlds and all of those things um, will be the smaller Borg Cubes. This one contained the Sphere, or one of the many. To be fair, there wasn't just one on the second battle. Uh, They've obviously taken that over. Uh, It could well be where some of the refugees are housed. My thought there is that actually it's them trying to get technology to turn the tide of them because obviously if your planet's gone well that was it i wasn't quite sure because we meet sister which is she's called soji we meet soji on this i guess the question is is she there from a humanitarian point of view where as you say the refugees and she's trying to help them because the federation turned the back on them or are these rebels who are as you say trying to re-establish themselves and she's joined that side of the the battle because she feels that they deserve the support well again well i'm sure we'll soon find out in the next few episodes but you know the the history of the romulans and you know that they've never been upfront and honest you know don't forget the very first time kirk sees them he doesn't even know what they look like so and then again in next generation they still haven't seen them because they've isolated themselves nice to see what looked like an updated version of the bird of prey but they are very very insular and very kind of isolationist themselves so and and a bit secretive we'll see and she's a doctor so it'd be interesting to see what she's a doctor of whether she's gone into a similar field to her sister or whether she's gone down a slightly different avenue because she she makes a a comment that she's aware of her sister she's clearly not aware her sister's dead Uh, true so that does lend itself to i mean they don't specify where the timelines are in this in terms of when Daj is killed and when we see Soji with space communications, one assumes... Mind you, they didn't find any trace of her, did they? So they didn't know she exists. No. Therefore, there is no one to tell her that she's not about anymore. So I guess maybe that's why. There definitely seems that there's an awful lot to be found out about from that. And we obviously meet 
who I assume is going to be the big bad of all this, which is why I think it's going to be a Romulan-centric storyline. We've oh, got Harry Treadaway. Yeah. Yeah. Whose name for the character isn't... Nemec. It is, but it's not on IMDb, which usually suggests there's perhaps more to it than... Well, anyone who are fans of Harry Treadaway, he plays, generally plays baddies. I mean, he played Dr. Frankenstein in Penny, in Penny Dreadful, and he's recently played Mercedes Killer in Mr. Mercedes. English actor. There's a lot of English people in this. Always love to see strong English leads. Obviously, we all we know Picard is. You know, other people obviously coming into the show who we haven't seen yet. <laughs> but it's just nice, isn't it, to see, you know, American shows being led by uh, mostly uh, a British cast, which is which is great. Warning! Warning! Not alert! We are quite excited by this show, I think is safe to say. Um, what we normally do at this point on the Discovery shows is Mark gives us a load of Easter eggs that he spotted throughout. Have you got any for us? Yeah, this is going to be a a whistle-stop tour quickly because a lot of these things don't need any explanation. So we had the poker game, which anyone who watches Next Generation will know was a regular occurrence with Data and Picard. Most well, it wasn't with Picard, was it? It was Picard only joins him at the very end. Yeah, but, but I think the reason why it's Nemesis. it's kind of bookend thing is it's supposed to this this episode is to try and establish the the strong bond between Data and yeah. Picard. It was generally with the crew, Riker and Diana Troy and others. Wolf, uh, and that. Well, over thing they just built up a, a collection, didn't they? Yeah, and then obviously Picard latterly. So that was in there. The the other the other good one that was a good strong link back to kind of the relationship with Picard and Data was the song that was played, which was uh, Ervin Berlin, Blue Skies, which he sang at Deanna Troy's wedding. Yeah, he did. So that was a call back there. Obviously, Data's death, which happened where he sacrificed himself in the, the film, which I mistakenly said. Which is Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we have the remnants of the Borg. Again, we see the Borg cube again, which is kind of a flashback to the, the Borg invasion. That was the second one, just to be clear. So it was trying to use time travel to stop the, the first launch where the Vulcans meet Zephyrin Cochrane, and then that would that meant we wouldn't have got warp travel, so therefore we wouldn't have gone into space. So all that happens, and and in that Picard and, and Data play a, a significant role. The number one, which you picked up, the massive balls. <laughs> Not that you picked up massive balls. <laughs> the vineyard, Chateau Picard, which is again picking up the, the cannon from Picard's family, which I mentioned earlier. We've seen lots and lots of that across the show. Uh, the Earl Grey T, uh, the Romulan supernova, we tap into what, what happened 15 years before, which also corrects anybody. It's quite clever they've tied in the Kelvin Universe sort of film storyline, and they're also tying in with Discovery. Um, well, we never see it in any of the films for uh, anything. So anything post, or sorry, pre-JJ, we don't see that happen. What that does is set the tone of the fact it happened in both universes. It's just that Spock went back through a... No, but it's, it's, it is really interesting, because this is the first time we've seen a post-next-gen, post-Deep Space Nine, post-Voyager Star Trek series. So, And since those season series ended, we've had, the obviously, the JJ films. Correct. So we haven't actually had anything no. that follows on for that, which is which is quite nice because... It's nice writing. We've got lots to explore, haven't we? We have. It's, it, this is where you can tell the difference between lazy writing and actually thoughtful writing. They've clearly gone, well, well how are we going to bring Picard back in? Because it's been 30 years. What are we going to do here? 
and they've gone, well, the supernova happened, what will be the fallout from that? And which which leads into the other Easter egg, which is... Yeah, Pic- what will Picard do? Exa- well, yeah, exactly. The thing he mentions when he's having the news report, the, the journalist is interviewing him, he said, well, that was, the, that was our Dunkirk. And she knows she doesn't know what he's on about, which just shows the fact that we live in a culture where people don't fact-check, they don't know the history. And as he quite rightly says, is, well, it's all right for you because you'll just delete it and it won't exist, which is what we're seeing yeah. now. People don't like what happened in the history so what we'll do is we'll reboot the history and we'll replace characters with ones that we find visually more attractive and palatable because we don't want to know i mean in schools for example people don't talk about world war one because the kids might get depressed about how many people died for our country and so we don't talk about it so what happens in two generations we don't even know about world war one so we're going to be end up doing the same thing again and and that's the point. So he says, you know, we Dunkirk happened, and that's all I was doing was helping people off essentially the beaches. We get the Utopia Planitia uh, yeah. shipyards where the Enterprise was built. Um, not anymore, it's not. <laughs> summary briefly of uh, the Children of Mars, which explains in the interview that the synths kind of were unhappy and revolted and ended up. But do we? Th- I mean, what, what? I guess we haven't touched upon that to cut across you slightly. We didn't touch upon the whole synthetic theory of what went wrong. Why did they suddenly revolt? Or was this a, a Romulan thing? Did they manage to tap into the inner workings and manipulate them in some way? Know. It's going to be quite interesting. because The, the, the short treks messed us up a little bit because we haven't seen it and apparently that would lead into this. And we get, we get obviously having seen the relationship with Data, you know, again we see, which is probably more of a... Uh, continuance of the fact that he's got a good relationship with Data's daughter simply because he has and fought, in fact, for the sentience of Data Yeah. in Data Law, the episode I think it was, for Data being human. Well, that's actually, that's another thing that you've just mentioned because Law is obviously knocking around somewhere. He was deactivated, wasn't he? He was. But he's still knocking about somewhere, so I don't know. Dare we think we might see Fat Law? Fat Law. Fat Laura, good Fat that. <laughs> hey, but well, you know, again, another another theory early on. I mean, we never know. But again, this is where we can we can bring in people because they exist in canon and the characters. Well, the, the actors should I say still exist playing them. I mean, I'm sure Brent Spiner will be happy to come back in again. I mean, the other thing as well, uh, Data's paintings. Like part of Data's attempt to be more human was to tap into the culture and be more culturally aware listening to uh, classical music and and picard as we always knew was very very into all of his classical music and um, was a bit of a mentor for data in that respect we get to see data in a couple of uniforms as well don't we, we see him in his sort of gold one That's we right. see him in his blue one yeah. did you notice actually when uh, picard racks up to the archives building outside of it there's lots of Starfleet personnel wandering around, yeah, and they're all wearing the uh, the uniforms, you know, with the black at the bottom, with the colour at the top, and some have got the ones with the colour at the top, and then Voyager obviously ones. some are wearing the yeah, so some are wearing the Voyager slash Deep Space Nine ones, some are wearing the next gen ones, and some of them are wearing the the new I think sort of grey ones. It's I it's interesting that they're mixing them all up, really. I mean, we've only got a kind of wide shot of it, haven't we? We haven't seen it all properly, but I think they've probably kept some maybe for the uh, recruits. I, I've got a feeling they've changed the lapels a little bit. Right. Because bear in mind, if you go to First Contact Insurrection, they've changed again to the grey-black combination yeah. with it being a bit um, 
uh, puffy at the top, pleated. Yeah. So, I mean, they're out of date by several years, if that's what they've done. But they, I think they, what they've done is, in the efforts of keeping it just a little bit new and nuanced for people who are fans of the next gen they may have messed around with the collar i am going to be interested to see the uniform because you always love a new uniform when they, oh, everyone loves when, when, when they changed the the uniforms to have the black at the bottom that was just quality and then and then when they changed it again yeah it was like yeah so so we'll love see i mean it's year. another thing keeps us keeps our uh, eyes sharp as we've already covered you get to see the stargazer in the room you get to see the battle f and um, the the book you know, obviously the Enterprise D vertical, as we mentioned, the Daystrom Interest Institute again, which has played a big part in Data's um, search for humanity, was mentioned. Data's daughter gets mentioned. Bruce Maddox gets mentioned, and then the disassembled B4, which uh, obviously was the original one that was created prior to Data. They've really done, in my mind, um, a really good effort uh, on a strong episode for me. It's brilliant. So, what were you going to give it out of ten? Nine. Wow. Now, again, because you have not heard to the Discovery Trek episodes at this point, you won't be aware that Mark, when we, we always give him a score out of 10, Mark is famously well-renowned for basically giving everything a 7, whether it's because it, it wasn't bad enough to get a 6, or the scope for improvement, I don't want to set the bar too high, blah, blah, blah. So for him to go in episode number 1 with a 9, wow. Yeah. It is well. Why? If, Go on. You've got yeah. I, tell well, us because you know you are right. Because I always say don't give it give it a nine because you can only go to a ten and then if it gets better than the ten, where do you go? You don't get eleven out of, out of ten, do you? So I go seven because that's going to be the average. But it's just because one, it's a different approach to discovery. Uh, I like the way it fits in to the canon. I like how it works, the technology. You know, I'm not being funny. There was an episode. There was an episode. Not episode. There was a part of the show where they show you a holographic thing, which was just on a part of what you see on Discovery. Yeah, it doesn't fit in Discovery because we're not there. But in here, you know, again, they've upgraded the Bird of Prey, which just acknowledges the technology and the design. You know, it's a Bird of Prey. It just sits really well. And Picard, it's also mostly Picard. I think Picard on its own. If you just had Picard sitting on a chair drinking <laughs> LT, L Grey tea, decaf a seven. the real one. Well, no, he loses the point for decaf. <laughs> but if you just had him talking to camera, dressed as a lobster with a cup of L Grey tea, I would give him a seven just on that. I'm going to give this an eight. Okay, I'm going to give it an eight because, because it isn't the show's fault, but it's was it that it's jump? too short. Okay, I, I, I'll take that on board. I'm yeah, genuinely yeah. taking. T- I'm I'm the same as you. I don't want to give episode one a ten because it does give you nowhere to go, and mm. I, I'm absolutely convinced there are going to be episodes still on this, which just makes your mind boggle. Absolutely, with excitement. Yeah, I am going to knock a point off because it was only 43 minutes long, and I think yeah. for the first one. Bearing in mind we've waited twenty years for this, <laughs> man and boy, it just feel it. It just feels like you you. You're a cock tease. <laughs> Picard. Picard, you're a cock tease. I'm not having that. That's outrageous. So uh, I'm going to give it an eight because okay. I absolutely loved it. I'm absolutely made up that Picard's back. Ditto. He was everything that I hoped he would be, which is basically Picard, but more relevant to absolutely. the modern times. Yeah, I think whatever the story is going to be, Patrick Stewart is going to carry that. Show I, yeah, I just with agree. him being Picard. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking forward to meeting all the other people. I just hope that when they introduce all the old crew, so Riker, Troy, Seven of Nine, 
it's not ham-fistedly crowbarred in as one of those like a justice league movie so the walk yeah the walking (laughs) around the walk in the background waving the camera and there's like that artificial audience applause going yay oh look over there there's seven of nine Ah, yay on your left you will find yeah you know i just hope they don't have that i hope there is a legitimate reason why they're there and that their characters are as on point as Picard. Agreed. Because, God bless her, Jerry Ryan, not necessarily the world's best actress. I thought she did Seven of Nine really well in Voyager. She Well, when you're an android, it's all right to be cardboardy. It is, it? and it seems that from the trailers, it seems that she's continued to evolve towards her human side. So it'll be interesting to see how she plays that and whether she can still keep that essence of Seven of Nine. Yeah. Um, they've obviously not dressed her in the ridiculous spandex for the arse and tit it's a shame. points, which is a shame from a, a lewd male perspective, but of course adds more credibility to her as a character, which it, is Well, good. it evolves her as a character, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, I don't, and also, I suppose, what's the point? It, yeah. no, it doesn't tell anything. You know, her character was the femme fatale in that in that area, and obviously, it went, well, we were happy with it, weren't we? We weren't throwing people out of buildings to yeah. complain. Different time. She's now obviously matured. The other thing is, I've seen her in other stuff, and she's very good. Yeah. You know, I would I would say she's a good actress. I think it's how the character's written. Yeah. That's the thing that sometimes people don't give credit for, is they may look like the bad acting. If they've been given a poor script or the writing's not great, then you can only work with what you've got. And I guess maybe the concern is that she isn't familiar with Picard. Their stories haven't no, crossed. No, they haven't. You know, when you see in the trailer the, the Picard and Riker yep. exchange... And I suspect there'll also be a Troy exchange as well. I can imagine that their interactions on this show are going to be like a warm pair of slippers because they work together for so long and because their characters are so well familiar with one another. Reigniting those those relationships isn't going to be particularly difficult. In the same way as Stewart's obviously walked straight into that Picard oh massively uh, character and just yeah. walked with it as though he was never never put down. Yeah. I suspect. Riker and and Troy are going to be do much the same. The same. Uh, so I don't have an issue with them, but I, I do worry about wedging things in. I don't think that's going to happen. Certainly based on this first episode, I'm I'm a hundred percent confident in their abilities because they haven't let anything down. Apart from obviously they've not given me a long enough episode. Well, apart from that, I mean it's a, a huge benchmark, isn't it? Yeah, massive. Off. Particularly getting a nine from you, which is unheard of. <laughs> I know. So um, that's it. We've covered episode one, mate. We've done it. We've done it. And probably ironically done it in longer than the whole show took. <laughs> yeah, uh, nearly an hour longer. Okay. Yeah, so well done us. <laughs> if you want to check us out now, there's a couple of things. If you want to send us an email, uh, please do. It's Picard Talk. That's P-I-C-H-A-R-D Talk at thepodstation.co.uk. We also have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook pages. That's at Picard Talk. That's P-I-C-H-A-R-D Talk all one word like the pages share it throw your comments on let us know what your thoughts are let us know how we got on please be kind uh, <laughs> very much it is just a telly show and we are just doing a podcast but never mind um you can also subscribe uh, you can get this show on all the major podcast platforms if you go to www.thepodstation.co.uk you'll find a picard 
talk page on there there'll be links to all the major platforms where we post the show if you subscribe you'll get the latest episode as soon as it drops if you could share it that'd be brilliant if you give us a five star review that'd be even better we have a patreon site as well which you can find on the pod station uh, so i think it's patreon.com forward slash the pod station if you can contribute it keeps the lights on keeps us doing the show keeps our terrible jokes flowing please scrap that last bit because you probably won't want to help out if that's the case i think that's probably about it isn't it oh how do we find you on the socials what oh right so again uh, i, I apologize to everyone for constantly banging on about this but uh mark would you please tell us your most convoluted twitter handle that you can never remember well, it's not please, so much. Please get to pen and paper, people. <laughs> it's not so much. It's not the Enigma code. It's not so much. I can't remember it. It's because when I when I created it based on the fact that there are other people with my name, and obviously wanted it to be relevant to me. I hadn't considered that it doesn't translate very well over audio. So my Twitter is at Mark underscore Latham Mark Two, as in the Iron Man suit designation of such such things. As in the Roman numeral. Well, it's like M- I I. No, M K I I. All right, okay. So Mark Two, so like Iron Man's suit at Mark Two. That is it. So it isn't as convoluted as it sounds. It just not, doesn't translate very well over audio. Mine's Mark R. Pollard. There's no flamboyant references. There's no Roman numerals. It's just what it is. Which tells you there's no one else important called Mark Pollard. <laughs> I think you'll find there is a world champion fisher called Mark Pollard. Fisher? Man. Fisher, man. <laughs> That's an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> right. Make it so, number one. (laughs) See you later, guys. Bye. Check out all our shows exclusively on thepodstation.co.uk. Support the station by visiting patreon.com forward slash thepodstation.co.uk.